0: CliffCentral.com
1: Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan,
0: and uh, Romani's present. How are you, Doctor Witt?
1: I'm okay, Mr. Kabinac. Um You got called Mr. Cabinet quite a lot in the last uh, sort of week and a half. When, um, when it, people it, it, it were some, for some reason used as a derogatory. Um, epithet.
0: Well, when they were polite, they called me by my name. Mm. Uh, when they weren't, they said I was an alt-right misogynist who hated, Which
1: reminds black me, black welcome to the uh, largest alt-right podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, or in Africa, at least. Niche,
0: niche I understand, <laughs> when, but still.
1: We're not an alt-right at all. In fact, we're not even really right. Um, those of you who hate us um, might want to go back and just listen to some shows and uh, see where we actually do stand instead of just screaming at us on social media. Is that about
0: right? It sounds like a lot of work for some people who hate us. Um, Well, I'm I'm, I'm
1: very happy because, you know, I often say that I actually don't own any land as a white male, but I've learned recently that I um, actually am occupying so many people's brains rent-free that I am probably one of the largest landowners in the country.
0: But it's vacant land, does it still
1: count? <laughs> that's a that's a very good point. Actually, it is quite vacant. Now that you come to mention, we 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 had a big week last week. Um, there was the Shirley Garland uh, thing. Um, yeah, we didn't comment on, on it last Tuesday because we had reported that pod. We recorded that podcast. Yeah, way in advance. Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, what is there to say? Um they found the guy they interrogated him like he was a suspect in a murder case um <laughs> he got he resigned yeah what is, what, what, yeah. what, what well, I'm just surprised
1: it? you know i mean there were so many people very sure it was you ramon and then there were a couple of people very sure it was me um and they were even promising us t-shirts um, right, the Broforce T-shirts. The Broforce. We will be making those T-shirts um, for anyone who wants them. Please join the Renegade Report Group on Facebook, and we'll look into an order. #Hashtag Broforce.
0: So if you're white, it's three ninety nine. If you if you're not white, two ninety nine. Yes,
1: it seems fair. It Excellent. Seems fair. I don't know if we can get shirts for three ninety nine,
0: but if we, we play, may have
1: to oppress some Chinese people.
0: Right or Indians?
1: That will be very wrong.
0: Which one Which one is worse on the oppression scale, Indians or Chinese?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Indians. Probably on. Indians. Indeed. If we go to Pakistan, I think that will be like right there. Then that that's worse on the oppression Olympic scale. And there must be children. Well, without goes without saying, if they haven't all been killed by American drones, right? So this week, uh, given that we have the whole Shelley Garland thing that happened, ooh, that's other thing we, to mention is we uh, we wanted to start a, a Shelley rating system. It, yes. was, it was It was mentioned by uh, one of our uh, listeners uh, on 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 social media great idea
0: right so I thought so it's a Shelly rating yeah you get a Shelly article. rating
1: for being awful a website or a news provider so um for example, currently the Huffington Post would be like a Shelley rating of like at least four out of five right so five being the most fake news kinda ideology peddling stuff you can well, find. the, the daily vomit type. Daily vomits are five. Right. Okay. Puffy, um, puffy post a four. Four, four and a half. Right. And then, like, if you, you know, have like half decent opinions, um, then you, you, you get closer to twos and ones.
0: Well, I think if you, if you mention the word white and privilege together, that's already a four. Fair enough. And, 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 and any mention of, of Marx
1: is straight to a five.
0: Right. Right. So, so we, we are working on a Shelley rating, just
1: to let you know. Um, our guest this week, let's stop talking crap, is uh, Mark Oppenheimer. Mark, I get your name right this time, man. Eh? <laughs> right, so so welcome back. You're yeah. our first guest who's come back on the show, Mark. He, he's had enough psychiatry and enough sessions, and he's uh, been in a safe space for
0: the last 12 months, and he's back.
2: And it's a pleasure to be here with Wit and Witless. <laughs>
0: Uh, yes, someone did say that. Wit and witless. And the funny thing is, I'm wittier than him. <laughs> you're definitely the wittiest. Uh, you can tell people don't listen to our show.
1: No, no, they, they don't listen at all. Um, and I highly recommend that if this is the first time you're listening to our show, you go back to the original show we did with uh, Mark, in which we discussed hate speech and we discussed what really constitutes hate speech as against hateful or hurtful speech. Um, because most people just don't get it. I mean, this week we've got a, a painting that a lot of people don't like. You got any comments on that?
2: So I think Ayana Mabule is a national treasure. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan. I think it takes massive balls to do what he does, and he does it time and time again. I Let's think use he... the pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, I'm interested to see what the, the response is. I mean, he uses the similar rape metaphor um, that Superior uses. And you know it's his discussion about Zuma raping Mandela in this very visceral way where you can see this anguish in Mandela's eyes, and he says, "You know Mandela is all of us, um and this is what's happening to us, you know and this um you know vicious uh rapist character of Zuma is per- perpetrating this this hatred on the rest of us um and the Mandela Foundation says something quite amazing, which is that they say we respect." his his right to free expression. We find the piece distasteful, but we're not going to stop him from saying it. Mm. And I think that's very powerful. That's the kind of maturity you expect in a mature democracy and from good civil, good civil society.
1: Yeah. And the ANC releases something going, we will take this on in the courts, or uh, we'll consider we uh, taking it on in the courts at least, is is kind of in their statement, so, which, which is, I don't know, irrational, given that I'm sure our constitution... Dip-
2: it expressly protects them it. from so doing that. The right to free speech specifically talks about artistic expression. Mm. Um, undoubtedly, um, this is protected.
0: Well, but the ANC released a statement as well. They will use the criminal justice system.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: that's what I'm, that was the, what I was referring to.
0: Oh, right, yeah, of course. But I don't know. It's not about the ANC, so why the fuck are they getting involved?
1: <laughs> well, they're protecting their dear uh, leader, I guess. Yes,
2: yeah, so well, there's an ANC flag in the background which is radiating onto Zuma's glistening body. Well, he penetrates uh, you know, the metaphorical Mandela and the literal Mandela.
0: I don't know. I just, it's just extremely... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, he's a hero, but I don't think he's a good artist.
2: Yeah, art's one of those subjective things, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah a bit like taking away the vote for white men. It's very subjective, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Nevertheless, Mark, you are here for a specific reason, and it is the selective, if I'm saying it correctly, selective reporting of hate speech particularly in media. So you had a talk at Solidarity during the course of this week, uh, which I recommend. Uh, we will link it up when we release this. But you had a 20-minute speech about what is reported on, what isn't reported on, and the repercussions. So just as a general background, what what is the, the ambit of what you said?
2: So Solidarity has produced quite an amazing report. Um, what they've done is they've looked at um, racist speech, um, over the year of 2016, and they've looked at a number of different instances, and then they've seen what, what are the repercussions of that speech? So, how much press coverage was there for it? How many articles were written? And were there any sanctions, um, for those that were, you know, producing the racist content? And they find this huge disparity. So, you have, you know, Penny Sparrow, um, having enormous amounts of coverage, um, Having criminal sanctions against her, she has to pay a 5,000-rand fine. In the Equality Court, she's fined 150,000-rand. And there's a large number of these other instances which, you know, the press coverage is, you know, 500 and up for each person, you know, for the sort of racist thing they say. But then when you look at um, – and these guys uh, – so the, the way Solidarity done is they've looked at white speakers and black speakers. Is that 500 articles? Or? 500 articles, yeah. Wow. Um, so an enormous number, you know. Um, and they say something like the average for every white speaker is something like uh, 600 articles per person. Penny Sparrow kind of pushing that up because it's very high numbers. But even then, once you take Penny Sparrow Arts, uh, the average is very high. Um, but when it comes to black speakers – um, who often the content of what they say is different in that it's racist, but there's also a call to action. So there's an idea that you must um, cut white people's tongues out, uh, that they should be burnt alive, that um, they're murderers, that they slaughtered people. Um, and then you have black speakers who are very prominent. So you have people like Julius Malema speaking at big rallies. You have uh, the president of the country uh, who holds a huge platform saying racist things. And you find that the number of um, reports on these guys uh, is minuscule in comparison. So the number of reports about Julius Malema uh, and anti-white speech, it's something like 160. Um, you know, he's at the top of the black column, and the bottom of the black of the white column is something like 250 um, for someone complaining about beachgoers or you know some other such you know racist drivel. But so they point this out and they say we've got a double standard. The way that they're dealt with it by the Human Rights Commission uh, is also done through a double standard, and that's a concern. And you find it in we uh, you know we've talked about the hate speech bill, and that piece of legislation builds in prosecutorial discretion. So it says that Sean Abrams gets to decide whether you get prosecuted or not. Now, that kind of thing is incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, when, it's, when arbitrariness is caked into the law, that you can say, well, what you've said is a, a breach of the law. Um, you know, you're inciting violence. You're saying something hateful. Um, but we're not going to prosecute you because you're a loyal cadre of the movement. You know? But you who are on the opposition, you know, we're going to send you to jail. For the first offense, it's three years, and the second offense mm-hmm. is ten years. And those offenses are there for things like making fun of politicians and lawyers. Yeah, so actually we were joking about it
1: a few minutes ago, but the ANC saying they're going to go through the criminal justice system to deal with uh, this painting, that could be a problem if you've got someone like Sean Abrams, who's clearly close to the president, making the decision on whether it's…
2: Well, undoubtedly, uh, if the hate speech bill was law, Ayanda Mabula would be rotting in a cell. Yeah. That's that's frightening to me, the idea that you can lock up an artist. You know, and of course, you know South Africa has a history of you know persecuting artists. Um, you know, during apartheid, this was part of the course that those that disagree with you or you know want to make fun of you, you mm. know, you ban them, you drive them underground, you kill them, sure. and even
1: uh, irrational things like they banned the book Black Beauty.
2: Yes, because yep. the horse was black and the title was Black Beauty. It was literally that simple. And this is what worries me is that we're sort of, you know, heading down this sort of sensorial path again, you know. I mean, there's this, this book called The Lighter Side of Apartheid that that makes fun of all these ridiculous things that were done, you know, under this awful regime. And we're starting to see more and more of this emerging now. It's very dangerous.
0: So when you uh, spoke originally about the, the, the contrast between the reporting, um. Why why is that? Because the, the reporting on like Penny Sparrow, who I keep repeating, is a nobody estate agent who no one likes estate, no one likes estate agents, right, Jonathan? Nobody no, likes estate <laughs> no I mean, other don't.
1: than lawyers. I mean, you know. <laughs> sorry, Mark. <coughs> Excuse me. but... Uh,
2: Mark's an he, advocate. He's an
1: advocate. That's all right. Advocate. So he's. Uh, well, I don't know. The advocates are, are earning well off Jacob Zuma. I think they might well, yeah. not be in you
2: the. You know lights. why God sta- created estate agents? Yeah. So that lawyers would have someone to look down on. <laughs>
1: Marvelous. All right. So, yes, estate agents so, yes, are not like.
0: I'm not like. Penny Sparrow, least of all. But no one cares. Well, no one knows where she. She's not important at all to the social. Welfare of this country. Uh, it was opportunistic that they found her Facebook post and they made a huge deal out of it. Um, why is there a difference in reporting in the media, though? So let's talk a little bit about, as you said, this
2: opportunism with Penny Sparrow. I mean, it's a little Facebook post. My guess is her three and a half friends saw it. Um, got to, let's look at the timing. So if we rewind back three weeks, okay, 9th of December, Franklin Nene gets fired, okay. The nation goes into an absolute uproar, right? There are anti-Zuma protests in the streets, outside parliament, you know, uh, in, in the city of Joburg. There's a huge Zuma must fall poster that's erected at the top of Long Street. You know, people are, are in utter disdain with the presidency. And the Iran's taken a huge beating. Right. And then on the 4th of January, we're talking about this estate agent from the middle of nowhere. And we all take the bait. And she ends up eating up all sorts of news media for ages. And we stop talking about corruption. And we stop talking about the failing economy. And we stop talking about, you know, a president who's got 783 corruption charges against him. We talk about her. Mm-hmm. So it's undoubtedly a diversionary tactic. Um And the press fall for a decline and sinker. I think if we do this comparison with the Shirley Garland story, you know. Um
0: Which one's that? <laughs>
2: so – to, for, for posterity's sake, because as much as it seems like a big story now, maybe, you know, and you listen in two years, it's gonna go to the hell Shelley Garland. Yes. Uh, the article that gets written says, uh, white men should be disenfranchised They shouldn't be allowed to vote On the grounds that They are really the root evil Behind everything If it's You know If, we, if white men weren't allowed to vote Then we wouldn't have had Trump in power We wouldn't have had Brexit And we wouldn't have the DA Running four municipalities right? And also world wars and, and a whole bunch of other stuff Which are all
1: yes. Related yeah. to, to men I, I remind people That they Love to send that meme around Of the woman who came up with uh, A lot of the formulae To make the atomic bomb possible They love sending that that out But But when the atomic bomb gets dropped, then, then it's the men that were responsible entirely. It's always ironic um, that they don't see the hypocrisy.
0: Nevertheless.
2: Nevertheless. So what happens is um, you know, the Huffington Post sees this this post and they say, well, we're going to publish it. Um, and it's embedded in the post. There's a whole bunch of utterly fake nonsense. So it says 97% of the stock exchange is white-owned. And there's a link supporting it. if you click on the link… Um, it's a story debunking the claim because Zuma had said something along these lines in the State of the Nation address. So you know the article is any journalist worth their salt would have realised this is a prank, okay? And they don't because because of ideological fervour, because they love the idea of having this great evil that we can blame for all of the ills, they publish the piece. And when the criticism comes in, that this is a hateful piece, the idea that in a country where people fought and died for universal franchise, that it's outrageous to publish a piece calling people to be disenfranchised and blaming people on the grounds of sex and race, they double down. And Rashni Pillai writes this piece saying, but this is blindingly obvious to us. You know, this is a mainstream view. Standard feminist theory. Yes, this is the, this is the line, right? And she says, of course, we need to dismantle this oppressive power. So then, uh, you know, Afterwards, it comes out that uh, Shirley Garland is an om de plume and that this is written by someone else. Uh, and their immediate line is, we've been duped and the real story here is that there's a fake author and we need to look at that. Now, that's not the real story. The real story is you guys published hateful content. Uh, you celebrated the amount of ad clicks that you got on it. You know, there's a, there's a picture of Sipo Mangwani saying, you know, oh, we love the outrage we're getting because we're making so much money from this. Um, and Paraphrasing him, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah paraphrasing. Uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a chart of, yeah. of the He, he going says up.
1: every time we put, we put this online, it goes crazy, and he shows you the charts of all the hits they get. Yeah, yeah.
2: It might as well be a HuffPost bank account going up, you know, yeah, it's sure. directly into ad revenue. Sure. Um, so it suits them to kind of have this agenda. And this is one of the things that uh, I talk about in my speech is, you know, people that engage in, in race baiting are doing so for a purpose. And unfortunately for some elements of the press, it's, it brings in revenue. You know. People love it. Yeah. People read the stories. Um, and I think it's important to say, why are we publishing this story? Is it actually newsworthy? Are we doing this to bait a public? And the problem is that if you keep on baiting people and you keep on vilifying people, it has real-world repercussions. So South Africa has a, a very violent history. And we marginalize people and we persecute people. If we just take ourselves back a little bit to 2008 – where we have this outbursting of xenophobic violence. There's this um, iconic photo um, of a Mozambican guy called Nemest- Ernesto Namuvwe, and he's been beaten and he's been stabbed and he's been burnt alive. Now, we need to, th- we need to think about that, you know that the problem with genuine hate speech is that it can lead to these eruptions of violence, that once you vilify a group enough and you say these people are outsiders, they don't belong, you know, um, you legitimize violence against them. And the problem is that I think the press is engaging in this. Look, it's not just HuffPost. You know, I think um, they deserve to be, you know, sternly talking to and they need to do some internal reflection about how they could have allowed this to happen. But there are, you know, other other parts of the press that are doing this. Um, I also talk a little bit about um, extremist organizations that are on the rise. So the UN's got this early warning system and they, they put that at the top that if you've got these racist organizations that are arising um, that's something to, to look out for, so that you can stop genuine violence from erupting. And I think there's two uh, that we should be deeply concerned about. Uh, the one being fees must fall. So you might think that, um, look, trying to get education expanded for more people is a good thing. But if you look at their tactics, the way that they have mobilized is on a racist platform, that they continually talk about white monopoly capital, you know, racist white colonial institutions that need to be burned and destroyed. Um, and they don't just say this stuff. They do it. So they burned down uh, a science building at Northwest University.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. They They set fire
2: to the library at Witz. Yeah. You know, they burn art, and they celebrate the burning of whiteness. So they've tied their violence acts to racist propaganda, um, and they've lived up to their propaganda, and they've celebrated it. You know, I mean, they kind of take this Khmer Rouge line of once you've destroyed, you know, all of the evil colonial stuff – um, you know, then we can have our year zero and, you know, from the from the ashes will rise the phoenix. And you say to them, tell me what the phoenix looks like. And they go, we'll work that out later, buddy. You know, shut your racist mouth. Um, and the other guys that I'm concerned about who are kind of wedded to Feasmus Fall are Black First, Land First. So you have guys like Lindsey Marsdorp, you know, um, actively calling for, you know, white people to be killed. And he says that he loves the idea of being able to personally kill white people. Um, and what's you, interesting… He said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, tweeted that a few times. Wow um so I mean this is a this is a worrying thing he's he's uh, got into a physical altercation with guys from afri forum they've laid an assault claim against him um I've had a personal interaction with him, which is kind of serious yeah. as well
0: that wasn't the last show, so you have to go back and listen to that yes, no. yes. I, i'm
1: just I'm just quite I, I, I'm as you know, I support freedom of speech yes. um quite vociferously, but um I'm just quite shocked that he has I mean he, he does hold a position of relative authority it's he doesn't uh, it's not a great a greatly large party but they get a lot of news coverage they do they're kind of like the EFF when they were first starting out the media seems to love them
2: well they're um, a breakaway right because yeah. the EFF wasn't radical enough for them they yeah. formed their own party right? Sure.
1: so he's, he's one of the leaders in there and I'm, I'm, I'm just quite shocked that he's sort of said something like that I, I you know and, and there are
2: that he, say land or death you know, yeah they celebrate this idea of violence
1: yeah i i just yeah it 's quite quite shocking to hear I, I, I once again we defend his right to say it unless he 's actively um in, in engaging in violence at that point um but but wow
2: yeah so look i mean if we again we can draw the distinction between hateful speech where you've got racist content and genuine hate speech where there's a call to action. In addition to your advocacy of hatred, you're asking for violence to be visited on on certain groups. And undoubtedly, you find Fees Must Fall and Black First Land First doing this, saying these guys must take their property, we must kill them, we must burn them. Um, So there's the other publication that we should be concerned about. is a publication called Black Opinion. Um, Oh, I've read that one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, glorious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they
2: publish Jimmy Money, don't they?
0: Uh, yeah, Jimmy. It's, it's it's it seems to be affiliated to Black First Land First or the Guptas mm. in some way. Uh, a lot of A and Seven people post on there. Well, this is something
2: worth pointing out, right? Is that you know this this uh, organisation that seems revolutionary um, seems to step into the fray in in battles that are odd, right? So you know when there's these anti-Zuma protests um, which are outside the Gupta house, who's there? Black First Land First and they're saying save President Zuma. they're chanting one settler one bullet uh, and they're you know actively being used uh, as pawns in this game you know uh, and there's a view that they're being funded um, by the Guptas you know because it's it's very useful to have these guys all that's you know, proven
0: the Bell Pottinger uh, report for the strategy for the Guptas was leaked and yeah. Black First landfest First is is uh, named. named in it um, but, but here's the thing Mark I mean I I'm against hate speech being a crime in general. And I've got no personal problem with saying, with Lindsay Marsdorp saying, it'd be nice to kill a white person. I want to achieve this. The problem I have in this country is that when I respond to that, other people that aren't Lindsay Marsdorp say, you're a white guy, of course you feel fragile. That is the problem, in my opinion. So I think this this is... An underlying problem is that we're, we're
2: creating a situation where certain groups of people are okay to vilify. We say, ah, don't worry about it. You're a white man. Nothing can touch you. You know, we can say this stuff and it's fine, you know, but you can, you know, step back in history and there were other powerful groups who got vilified enough until so they got, you know, pushed into ovens or chopped up by machetes. It's dangerous. So, I mean, you and I will differ on this, that I think genuine hate speech is a problem and that you no, need to, no, to. I think be it's aware a problem.
0: It. Don't get me wrong. But when I fight back against it, liberal liberal people tell me to shut up and say, but you're a white guy, of course you would think this is a problem. Even though they would disagree with the original speech of someone saying kill white people.
1: Yeah, uh, you're talking to the double standard. Of-
0: well, it's a double standard,
2: but I can't respond to that hate speech. Yeah, that's outrageous, of course. Yes. Um, and I think part of the problem is this idea underlying it that the racial identity uh, matters when we look at the speech. Now, that's an outrageous idea. We need to look at the speech and say, is this hate speech or not? Who is it targeting? Yes. The person saying it, I think what you, what you might care about some sort of power thing is, is it someone in the middle of nowhere? Is it someone who has a dominant position in society, some elected official? That matters. But does their race matter? You know, does their gender matter? No. You know, the idea that you get more license or more authority on the grounds of your race, that seems repugnant to me. And Especially when calling for spoken. violence. Yes.
1: Okay, just let's go further down the road of... You know, if if we're standing on the side of well, we think all speech should be allowed. Really, uh, and we said it on the show before. We think the um, the hate speech uh, provisions in the constitution are essentially probably unconstitutional. Certainly, the equality court uh, might not survive a constitutional challenge.
0: Well, that's that's Uh That's a different uh, act from the hate speech provisions. Yeah, no,
1: no, I I understand, but we do have hate speech laws. So uh, just. And you're saying, look, you do think that there is some stuff that constitutes hate speech. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is, we're going, well, who cares if he says something unless he's standing in front of a baying mob and I'm literally next door. No, We're saying no big deal, right? And you're saying maybe it is a big deal because it leads to something.
2: Am I? So I'll, I'll run through this a little quickly. So our constitution sort of sets up the parameters of what's contained in the right to free speech. And we have this... Very big right. You know, the fact that Dayanama Buddha is protected gives an indication of that. Uh, and then it says there's three exceptions. First being no propaganda for war. Second, no incitement of imminent violence. So this is the bang mob example, right? You're in front of the mob and you're calling for something, and they could they, it's likely that they'll act. And the third provision, which is really the sort of hate speech prohibition, is this. It says, advocacy of hatred on one of four listed grounds, race, gender, ethnicity, and religion, and that constitutes incitement to harm. Now, you'll notice the imminency bit has been taken away. So the idea is that you don't need to be standing in front of the bang mob when you advocate a hatred and call for harm to visit upon others. So if you write it in an opinion piece or on a tweet, uh, it's still not protected speech because there's this um, additional factor of advocacy of hatred. And because we come from a, uh, you know, a country where we've seen how this kind of thing can lead to genuine harm down the line. Um, now, it's different from saying something that's insulting to you. It's not about harming the person who's listening. It's about incitement to harm. So it's calling on third parties to say, go and get them. Get these evil, you know, blacks, Jews, um, whatever it is, the group that you're kind of, you know, targeting. Um, so those are the things to keep in mind. The problem with the hate speech bill is that it lowers the threshold massively. So it talks about speech that makes fun of someone so um, or that's merely insulting. Mm. Um, so the joke about estate agents is completely out. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that seems like a problem. I and mean, also they expand the number of grounds. So it's not just the four that I mentioned. It's 17 different grounds, including occupation and trade. So you can't make fun of politicians either. So what's hard about this question is that there's a lot of nuance, right? So on the one hand, I consider myself a free speech junkie, but I'm also really concerned about genuine acts of, of hate speech. And the way our constitution is designed is we say that stuff's not even contained in the right to free speech. It's a separate thing. Um, I think there's good philosophical discussion you can have about this. Um, you might think that some classical liberals are only going to want incitement to imminent violence as being the threshold, and other stuff they'll say we ought to allow, which is closer to the American position. They allow for a lot of hatred to be disseminated. Yeah, it's pretty much where I stand.
0: And so, so where do you stand? Because I had an interesting discussion with someone who said um, the hate speech provision in the Constitution could have been a su- could have had a sunset clause. So, they'll be in place for 25, 30 years so that we get over racial disharmony in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, after apartheid, people just didn't stop being racist or or anything like that. But just have it as a guideline just in case for 30 years so there's not a massive <laughs> implosion of race relations. And then you destroy the provision. In thirty, forty years' time, for example,
2: uh, it's an interesting question. I suppose what's difficult is that South Africa has kind of gone through these different waves, right? And yeah. so, for uh, I, I think if you ask South Africans four years ago how race relations going, they'd probably say pretty well, you know. And a lot of them still do say that. And we find that the last two years has been incredibly tense, um, and it's intense globally as well. It's an issue that's you know popping up in the states. So it's hard to know, you know, when would be the opportune time for certain clauses to disappear. Um, I still take the view that you you don 't want to prohibit merely racist speech. I want to know those guys in my society because they 're also an early warning you know when you 've got the guys running around saying racist homophobic, you know horrible stuff. I want to allow that so you can counter dialogue in them and you can give them this outlet so they don 't actually do anything harmful. You know if you say you cannot say that stuff ever, unfortunately, it boils over and you have genuine sure. problems mm. but i 'm okay with the idea of saying when you couple racism with calls to action that we can then say that's not protected speech. Sure. Uh,
0: the call to action, I think, really matters a lot. I, I think that's reasonable. I think that's very, very reasonable. I mean, uh, but I go back to my previous uh, statement where if Lindsey Marsdorp says, I want to kill a white person, let it be so uh, one day. And I retweet that or respond to him and say that you're that that is abhorrent of you mm and it's probably illegal, and I will get all the hate by saying, of course you'll say it as a white. Right. I mean, the double standard in media specifically is jarring. Um, and it's, it's almost as if the media create the story rather than the story being created objectively by itself. Uh, so how can we prevent these stories from gaining the momentum that they have? Because we know already the ANC war room was, was created for this purpose mm. and they've succeeded. So how do we stop, especially media and journalists, from propagating even more and flaming the, flaming the stories? So it's one of the reasons why I think this Shirley Garland debacle is, is a great moment,
2: you know, and I think Maurice Root should be incredibly proud of what he did, which is that he's popped a boil in South African media and he's letting the pus run out. And it's this moment for reflection. And I think what journalists need to do is say, hold on a sec, how did we allow this to happen? How did we not fact check a piece? How did we uh, allow certain content to be endorsed? Um, what are we doing? What's our role as a publication? So you have a publication like the Rational Standard that says, we don't pretend to be objective. We yeah. are biased. We yeah. are free market libertarians. Uh, yeah. We have a particular agenda and we're going to drive that agenda as hard as we can. And don't expect anything different from us. Well,
0: okay. that's what we've been saying on this podcast forever. Yeah. 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 Just, just admit biased. your bias. Yeah.
2: yeah. So you've admitted your bias and you said that's our role. Okay. Um, <coughs> and so Huffington Post could take that line. They say, you know, we're a left-wing left organization. The
1: Salon.com of South Africa.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can take this line, right? Um and you can be avert about it. Um but I think it's quite important not to just have, you know, political parties acting in the press. You want someone who's going to try and just give you a, a bland account of what occurred. So whenever I read the BBC, you know, I feel like it's such a different reading experience to reading Salon, which is just this, you know, huge amount of in, of injected opinion into everything that's happened. And, you have know, the B B C account saying, This is what occurred, you know, and yes. here's a controversy, so and so says this, so and so says this um that kind of reporting is quite important it must have a place i'm not saying that's the only kind of reporting you ought to have i think it's okay to have different opinions around i think what you need as well is i was speaking to a journalist yesterday saying there's a concern that the new guys coming into the newsrooms um aren't journalists they're activists so you've got guys coming out of fees must fall with a particular agenda wanting to cover certain stories with a massive spin and I think it's inevitable that people are going to come into a news organization with some kind of bias. What you want is an institutional structure that's strong enough to shape them, to say these are the procedural mechanisms we have in place. When a story comes in, we fact-check it. This is how we do it. We look for cross-references. We look for multiple people determining if this thing actually happened.
1: Isn't this just standard journalism? Though? I mean, wh- what you're describing, you know, have two sources yes. before you report something, fact-check the story against other Sort of sources as well, or other facts.
2: This is pretty standard stuff. stuff. I mean, there's a press code that gives you an indication of what you need to do. And you find the Huffington Post sort of posts their press code and basically admits that they didn't live up to it. There's a whole section there about not not stirring uh, racial intolerance. You know, unless you've got some good reason for publishing. So in other words, to publish um, a demagogue like Malema shouting racial invective at people, it's important for someone to have a transcription of that available to the public. In the interest of the public. But when you're stirring it up yourselves, you know, as the press, you know, then you are the story. um, And that's, you know, that kind of thing is at least it seems to be out of accordance with the press code. So what you want is this institutional structure that's training journalists saying this is, you know, this is how we do things in our newsroom. I think the problem as well is that you've got these financial pressures. Um, it's not a well-paying job anymore. Uh, it's much cheaper to have a guy spouting opinion behind a desk instead of sending them out to cover things. Um, and so, and there's also this demand for constant news all the time. So you find that you know, creating stories is a good way to keep attention. And not only stories, creating outrage. Yes,
0: yeah.
1: everyone loves the outrage.
0: No, well, I like I like for yeah. them creating stories, not reporting them. Yeah, they yeah. create the story themselves. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and I think that's. That's not the role of the press. You know, your role really is meant to be reporting on, you know, um, well, you know, objectively as, as possible on what happened.
0: Well, well, there's two things: there's reporting, and then there's analysis. Sure, right? Yes. Daily Maverick is analysis. It's it's opinion. Like yeah. Ren Jenny, she writes well, Stephen Cruyff too. It's, they report what happened and they analyze it and they have fun with it.
2: And there's a place for that without a doubt. It perfect.
0: Asked. It works great. Um, but if you're reporting that there's an accident on the highway, you're not going to state three black men died and a white woman ran away in a unicorn, right? You're just going to say an accident on the highway, three people dead. Being investigated. Yeah, et cetera, being et investigated. Et
2: so yeah. There's, there's two separate things. Sure. And look, and you might think as well that when someone looks seemingly neutral in their reporting, that there's some kind of bias. So, one of the things that's um, often discussed is depicting dead people. Um, that when white people are are dead, that often they're sort of shown in quite a respectful way. That they're, they're shrouded, they're covered. Um, whereas when black people are, are shown dead, they're often it's very explicit. You can see, you know, swarms of, of flies coming out of their mouth. Yeah. There's a question: of, if there's a double standard here, what's going on? Yeah,
0: you know. Um, I, mean, I think uh, that, that's a fair comment. Intuitively, that makes sense to me. There's far more respect shown to, it was for the lack of a better word, white bodies. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> no.
2: It's literally we white bodies. Get though. out of the studio. It's oh, oh, you guys are so easy body. to bait. <laughs> it's
0: literally white bodies. But that does seem to be the case, though. Um, that, yes. I mean, that, I agree, is a double standard, too. Yeah, yeah. So, look, my
2: view is I abhor racism. I think it's important to try and do a bit of introspection and work out is this practice which looks seemingly neutral actually racist you know I think that stuff's worth doing the problem is you've just blown that concept out so that's you know people just feel like well I could never say anything because of my race or you know my mere presence is of violence you know um, white people are necessarily racist given their you know evil white skins you know that sort of stuff's really dangerous all right collectivist identities yeah yeah, yeah.
0: all right so stop being dicks to each other please and stop reporting on the penny spares of the world basically
1: yeah, yeah. What was the? I mean, what do you say is the solution to reporting on someone like Penny Sparrow more than five hundred times?
2: I think you have to ask yourself: Is this thing newsworthy? Am I being used as a tool? And undoubtedly, the press were were used as a tool in this in this case. You know, they were just this fantastic path for diversion. The story itself was never newsworthy. Um, it was a manufactured story. Um, and the, then the question becomes: Are we comfortable with you know pushing at those that are actually powerful? Those that are really dangerous, can we cover them? You know, and and you find that you know, how many anti-Gupta stories are you going to hear on NN Seven, right? Yeah, well, none.
0: Yeah, but that's why I respect NN Seven far more than other publications.
1: Just, uh, you might want to expand on that slightly, but I, I get it.
0: Well, their bias is so bloody obvious, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Come on. Yeah, it's it, their bias is so obvious. It's just the, the I think the issue is is that they just. Talking nonsense, a lot of complete nonsense. It's not even like we're we're reporting what happened in a way as favourable as possible to the Guptas. It's we're just going to report absolute rubbish, or you know, we'll get Chelsea to go onto Twitter um, and say how Putin is the saviour of Earth. Do
0: you know Chelsea? Chelsea Lots. lots.
1: Have, I, you seen, have you seen this woman?
0: I'm
2: hoping there's a Morris look, Root behind Chelsea it. <laughs> like, it's just so blatantly outrageous. When it, is po- it is a bit of pose Law going.
0: Socialism just means sharing and caring for all. She's like South Africa's
1: Godfrey <laughs> Elfwick, but she, she basically is real. She believes what she says. Yeah, I know. Chelsea is… And is Chelsea, a- if you're
0: listening, this is the most airtime you're ever going to get, so don't get used to it.
1: <laughs> well… I don't know. She gets airtime
0: on a in 7. Well, no. I mean, I'm talking about the show. This is a respectable show. <laughs> are we not having Chelsea to the studio? A g <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> no. We no. don't usually limit we'll, guests. We'll just fall for the prank. She you
2: not have a hate monger like me on your show, you know? sure you yeah, can have uh, this guy. on.
1: I don't know. I don't think she'd, she'd ever come on. I mean, we are... Uh, and Chelsea's latest, and latest on, Chelsea's latest tweet. She does love socialism.
0: Chelsea's latest tweet there's one thing that Twitter has taught me: it's how shockingly close-minded the majority of the world is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too much! Amazing, it's too much. All right, so okay, hate speech is a problem. I, we, I think we've closed the discussion, right? We're going to talk about more fun. Yeah, things now. yeah,
1: we can so, we can leave it behind. I mean, I'm I'm still good. I disagree. You know, I'm more towards the classically liberal American version, but it's fine. It's it's not a big deal. I, I wouldn't have a. I would expect to find sanction if I stood up. Uh, or tweeted out on Twitter that I thought uh, all people of X race or X sort of belief should be murdered. Um, I would fully expect that I'm going to get into trouble for that. No, but
0: that's not the point, though. The yeah. point is that if, if if someone else counters you, yeah, you that I know you're you unhappy with a counter, but Mark's saying you, 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 you even for just saying but, it. But I think because it's a problem, because those people who counter that speech are vilified too. That's the, that's the biggest problem, in my opinion. I'm happy that there are dicks around, like not physical uh, people that spout hate speech all the time, and it's fine that they exist. But if I counter them, or if I try to ridicule them, and I'm the one being shut down by the general population on Twitter or social media,
2: well, that's the the cup, the number of it for me. Yes, is this idea problem. of a general population on Twitter? I think is a complete fabrication. I think what you have is you've got a whole bunch of people who hold a view very strongly, or are paid to have a view very strongly, and their job is rubbish anyone that's the enemy. Um, so you're attacking Lindsay Marsdorp. Our job is to humiliate you, disenfranchise you, you know, make you look like a racist. That's the line, right? Yes. Um, you know, I th- I think the problem as well is Twitter is not reality. You know. No. <laughs> what? You know, you find this with the uh, you know the Institute for Race Relations goes and spends time with real South Africans and does genuine polling. Yeah, And most of them don't think a race was around the corner, right?
0: Um, well, no one does. except for Shaka Sisulu. And he has been on Twitter like in a couple of months now. It's odd, eh? Ever since it's he's been exposed. Strange. It's strange. very odd. Maybe he's on an island with his 50 million. <laughs> I think it's dried up. you can't afford data. But sorry, Mark. Yes, IR yeah. has these surveys. So, But
2: I think, but what, the, what even they're finding is that those numbers are changing. You know, that there is a sort of impression in general South Africans that, you know, Racial hostilities are on the rise. And part of it's being led by these guys on the fringe. So, yeah. you know, you, if you give every publication a bunch of ex, you know, extremist writers and everyone on Twitter is a lunatic, you know, that stuff starts to seep into ordinary South Africa and we start to think, well, well maybe we should be worried. Uh, so, yeah, the idea, I think the idea is not to be led by some kind of lunatic fringe.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you.
1: Well, you can see the danger in some way. Take Turkey as an example. You've got Erdogan who has basically created an environment in which he's managed to convince his populace to an extent that uh, it would be better to just give him all the power and to lose their democratic rights. As
2: Ramon would say, a benevolent
1: dictator. Yeah, except Um, he, there's nothing benevolent (laughs) about (laughs) him. Nothing benevolent about him. All right, let's uh, let's move on from the hate speech stuff. Uh, When are they deciding on that bill? Do we have any idea? Submissions
2: are in. Submissions are in. Parliament will hopefully have some sort of open discussion about it. What's amazing about this, I have to say, is that civil society really came to the fore. So when the bill was initially published, the media response was, this is amazing. It's going to end racism. And, you know, the press was loving the bill. Uh, and once they realized, hold on a sec, this thing is going to lead to journalists being imprisoned, um, a whole bunch of other organizations got on board. So the Hill and Citizen Foundation's written a submission, um, Zapiro and a group of stand-up comics have written a submission. Um, I think there's a broad consensus in civil society that this thing is very dangerous. Yeah. Religious organizations as well are very concerned because it's you it know, could, could end up banning religious books or banning the preaching from religious books. Um, so if, if all goes well, the bill will die a death.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. But, but that's the media in general though because I remember when there was a, the, the media tribunal or well, the secrecy bill as yeah. well. Leon Lowe wrote this fantastic column where he says the media are very happy to regulate everything else except for themselves. They are very happy. Like, now they're calling for this amended FICO bill to be signed because X, Y, Z, who know? Who the fuck are you to tell the president what bill to sign into law? Like, come on now. I think there's
2: a problem with media reporting on the law generally. You know, the nature of law is often it's a bit obtuse. It's complicated. Um, not a lot of journalists are trained in law, so they don't really know how to speak the about same it. same thing happens on medicine. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you're regularly going to see some miracle drug that's going to save us from whatever it is, disease. Yeah. Go, well, actually, you know, if you've done any uh, research into well, this. the
0: Miracle NHI program. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's going to cure, I don't know, it's going to cure everything. Anyway, Jonathan, you, uh, what would you like to discuss?
1: I, I don't know. We, we were having such a good time before we started recording and now I can't remember anything we what were talking did we
2: talk about. about before? But that's because we're all naked covered in olive oil. (laughs) It is because
1: we're all naked. And of course, the three bottles of tequila are starting to wear off.
0: Well, thank goodness the aircon's not on. Um, (laughs) But Mark, yes, you actually are... No, I'm out. We're going to edit this. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) We don't edit. We don't edit. We carry on going. Uh, I want to say, you're speaking at Free Market Foundation. When this will be released, it will be Tonight. Yes. Because this uh, released on Tuesday and you're, and you're talking on Tuesday evening.
2: So I'll be speaking at half past five of the Free Marks Foundation.
0: Right, so be there if you hear this. Uh, and, and, and this will be about the double standard that we were talking about throughout this conversation.
2: Yes, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and as I say, um, one of the things that Solidarity is going to be doing um, is submitting a, an early warning report to the the UN's um, Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, and there is this concern that we're reaching a point where we're vilifying minority groups in a manner that could lead into genuine violence, and I think we should be concerned about that. Um, there's kind of a growing tide of this, you know, uh, and I don't think that I'm a, you know, a prophet of doom. Uh, right. Or a but, conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to talk about this sort of stuff and sound sound reasonable, um, but. Yeah, I, I think I think we're reaching a point where it's important to sort of be aware of it. And what that will mean is that um, the UN will have the capacity to send out a special reporter uh, or recommend to South Africa that they do internal investigations to find out what's going on and try and, you know, quell the situation before it boils over into something serious. You know, you don't want another one. You don't want another… You know, South African xenophobic attack. You know, we've sure. had uh, this 2008, we had it in 2015. You know, this year in Feb, we had anti immigrant marches. Um, and other minority groups are being vilified too, and that's a real concern. Do, do you have any faith in the UN?
1: I mean, I'm saying that as a general question, but you've also just said, you know, they're going to send off something to the UN. Uh, it seems to me like the UN might look at it and go, how do we feel about South Africa? Where do they stand in our estimations? Oh, no, no, we, we quite like them. Um, so we are not going to really investigate this. I mean, this is an organisation which puts Saudi Arabia on a human rights council. Sure, you know, yeah. and um, I think Saudi Arabia at some point was also on the women's rights council. So you know, and and equal sort of countries that that are well known for either abusing human rights or um, equal rights in terms of in terms of genders. Um, so
2: it, it's it's uh, if we do you think we can rely on them? I think they're. They're a point of leverage. Uh I, I, I share, you know, some of your concerns about aspects of the UN. Um I think as a nation, if you care about um participating in a global community, then you do care about, you know, the reactions of your peer states. And if you're being, you know, wrapped over the knuckles repeatedly, um that matters. You know. Um I think it sort of matters on an economic level as well, that if you can you know if other states, you know, view you as a rogue state, they're not gonna trade with you. Um and that matters enormously with South Africa. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well economic sabotage is, we do that quite well just by ourselves, to be honest. <laughs>
2: yeah, I
1: was going to
0: say no one's going to trade with
1: us anyway. Yeah. We're, we're junk status <laughs> Who cares? now.
0: Uh, but Mark, <laughs> back to you. Why is solidarity being involved in this? Because we Look, had pitlery on last week. We are very fond of of any organization that doesn't care too much about the state and wants to self-organize.
1: Taking things into their own hands. Yeah,
0: we're very happy for any organization like that, and we, we support their cause. The problem is every forum and solidarity have been vilified. Uh, maybe, now, I don't know their full history. Uh, I don't know all their positions. Maybe some of the criticism is valid against them, uh, that they are uh, separatists or Something to that effect. I'm not too sure. I've just seen some of the criticism, and I can't verify that criticism. So why why are they the ones who are busy with this uh, report on on uh, racist hate speech in the country?
2: I think part of it is that they're an organisation that's shown that they're not afraid of the state, um, that they're willing to to stand up. So one of the one of the cases that they ran in the constitutional court was um, about coloureds working in the correctional services department. Yes, um, and there was the decision that. Uh, no colored person would ever be promoted beyond a certain level uh, on the grounds that there were uh, too many coloreds in the Western Cape and they should, you know, distribute themselves around the rest of the country. Um, and, you know, they fought uh, They fought for these kinds of things. This is outright racial discrimination. Um, and so they're willing to stick up for vulnerable people. Um, and I think they're seeing this happening here with the double standards and, uh, you know, on the way that uh, hateful speech is dealt with. Uh, and they want to raise the issue. Um, And I I think, you know, there's been this sort of tactic of saying, you know, well, these bunch of wild Africaners can't be trusted and, you know, it's just a way of vilifying them. It's, you know, it's racism, this card of racism is just being unfortunately used um, to delegitimize in cases where it's it's not fair to do so.
0: Yes, I I tend to agree with you. I mean, I've got absolutely no problem with solidarity at all. Uh, I, I actually quite like them, but in the same sense. If Black First Land First wasn't the vitriolic, balpogger, Gupta page stooges that they are, say they didn't, they didn't say that. Say, they didn't participate in hate speech like that, but they were like very pro-black. Yeah, would you would you be happy to help them in something similar? Explain how they.
2: What would they be doing?
0: I will say they were a, a civic organization group. They was just like militantly militantly pro-black, but not anti-white like they are now, for example. They just say... Well,
1: well they uh, could have been. I mean, the equivalent pre-94 is the PAC, really. Yeah, Bico, a, it's example. a Bicoist sort of approach. Um, but but I think, you know, Ramon, it's difficult to imagine something now where by they're being so kind of, you know, there's hate speech against them or they're being... Oppressed in some way i mean that's that's the big the big thing everyone 's fighting for who 's being oppressed really um or who's somehow under the knife you know and and that 's the big debate is 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 who really is under the knife you know the the argument is is that um you know someone like uh, uh, solidarity might go on this and say, well the media reporting on stuff that's uh a racist comment from a white person is through the roof uh Maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't be. Uh, The media reporting on a black person is nowhere to be found, a black person doing the same thing, nowhere to be found, um, and that's their sort of issue. Uh, The the other side sort of argues, well, the white folk must shut up because, for example, the white folk have all the capital. Because
0: 1652,
1: Jonathan. Yeah, okay, but let's go with the white monopoly capital argument. The white monopoly capital, they have all the access to funds. Uh, Black people are still in the majority of the poor people, and therefore that's not fair um
2: maybe that would be somewhere where they would so i think i think it's important to if you look at from my understanding what solidarity cares about the way that they've approached this problem is not about a you know rights for whites kind of thing mm. i think what they're saying is when you have a standard it must be a fair universal objective standard you know it's 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 an, in the nature of the rule of law that everyone is treated equally before the law absolutely and they're pointing out well you don't want laws that discriminate and you want people to be treated you know the same for the same kinds of offences. That's all they're doing. Mm. You know, they're not asserting some sort of you know special status for groups. That's why I think the idea that, that there is some group that cares about Black Pride is not the corollary to an organisation like Solidarity. Right. You know, they're not a White Pride organisation. Oh no, you know? no, no,
0: no. I wasn't making that that yeah. assertion at all. Uh, no, I was. But but oh yes, I want to ask you. We're so just playing devil's advocates. Yeah. On, yeah. On, yeah. You know Yeah. I mean, Solidarity, please fund us. We'll gladly take your money. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But uh, the, the human George right- Soros not so much No 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 George <laughs> Soros can go get stuffed uh, The Human Rights Commission Right Isn't that a kangaroo court And the Equality Court as well It's a bullshit kangaroo nonsense court uh, Yes it's there Created by statute and legislation Which is clearly unconstitutional anyway Do, are, these, are these the best mechanisms To deal with With hate speech Look I think it's I, as I say, I,
2: I take the view that you do want a mechanism to deal with hate speech. Um, I'm I concerned agree. about Papuda because Papuda sets th- thresholds incorrectly, it talks about hurtful speech, um, and that's not what the Constitution talks about. Um, I don't think those organisations are necessarily inherently kangaroo courts. They have the capacity to be perfectly fair. You know, the Equality Courts are staffed by high court judges, right. um, and as one of the things that we can be very proud of in South Africa is that our judges tend to be independent and fair minded. Um, So – and you want to ensure that that continues. Um, I think the problem with the Human Rights Commission is that they're a bit underfunded, um, that they're kind of inundated with complaints, and it's quite hard to deal with all of them fairly. Um, One of the examples that comes out in the Solidarity Report um, is two instances um, where they impose sanctions. They impose community service sanctions, Uh, and the one guy who calls out for um, violence against white people – gets ordered to perform uh, 10 hours of community service. Uh, and there's a guy who, I think it's after Fakilian Bolulu after he'd, um, while he was still sports minister. Oh,
0: Matthew Tennyson. Yeah, so yes. Matthew
2: Tennyson, um, you know, says something uh, racist and vile. How do you
0: remember all these people's names? I, I know the it's white racists because there's so few of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew Tennyson uh, gets ordered to perform six months of community service. Um, for using a racist epithet. Right. Uh, Now, you might think that both of them ought to, you know, be required to do community service. It's it's odd that the difference in penalty is so dramatic.
0: Even though the the offense is the same.
2: Well, it's not even the same because, as I say, the – the, I think he's a school teacher um, in Limpopo, who gets the 10 hours, uh, was calling for violence. Um,
0: oh, the offense yeah. is not the same.
2: Yeah, the offense to oh, my mind seems worse when you call for violence. Well, yes. I would um, say. He doesn't use a racist epithet, he doesn't talk about, like, you know, Royneck or hunkies or something. Um, Cr- crackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was called a cracker the other day. It's quite fun. Really? On Twitter. Yeah, Galanti- because you taste salty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I just delve out those liberal tears <laughs> very often. Uh, but yes, I mean but but you see, but that's a double standard in law not in law, in 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 the legal system as well though, which is very problematic. Now, how would you is hope to solve that? Because how can you change your judge's mind?
2: Well look what you find case? generally, at least when it comes to sentencing, is that judges are guided by prior examples. Sure. Um and it might be that you know the Human rights commission just doesn 't have enough precedents to kind of look at and you know act consistently that thing takes time to build up that kind of that bank, but I do think it's worth pointing out the inconsistencies you know and this is done all the time in the states where they say you know when you 've got a black accused and a white accused specifically for drug offenses, yes. you wind up with these very different sentences sure. that's a concern if your system is you know meeting out different kinds of punishment for the same thing, um, you need to look at that um, yeah. you need to look at it in all cases,
0: yeah, except when it's uh determined by sex then we don't care if the woman get off scot-free for pedophilia which happens quite a bit by the way it's, it's an interesting double standard
2: right yeah. uh you know i mean i think there are there's a small number of cases in america with like an older woman teacher um you know with the younger students and people's reactions seem to be different yeah know, like,
0: like oh what a what a player is the 13 year old student well done for well it's that old
1: thing you know that you, know, off, the, you, you, know? you if you're a if you're a if your son comes home, your 13, 14-year-old son comes home and says he had sex with his teacher, you give him a half five, right? Well,
0: speak for if yourself. You're,
1: if you're 13, it's a joke, but your 13, 14-year-old daughter does the same thing. You fetch your shotgun type of thing. That is roughly the setup of the joke. But um, it's, it's that kind of societal sort of norm, I suppose, or, or belief, which would have set that up. Um, I, I worry about about debating – well, not debating, but setting those up as if they are actual definite things because I think they do apply sometimes. But, oh, no, but, it, but you can it's, say it's it, a trend. It's right. the same – yeah, but it's the same kind of um, logic SJWs will use to fight – an argument of, you know, the institutionalized racism.
0: Right, for because example. there's because um, middle management as well. Yeah, so
1: I think you need to be careful of using individual cases to make uh, something applicable to an entire society.
2: Yeah. So, are you guys, if you're looking at the the French elections coming up, and I think it's a social justice where you've got this interesting problem, right? Because on the one hand, you've got the strong independent woman, and on the other hand, you have this. Uh, young, attractive, white male who's having an affair with his older teacher. You know, Which one do you pick?
1: No, but you, or you never pick the person on the right. It's, 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 it's very simple. It's like um, like empowered women in the media in the United States. Lauren Southern is an empowered woman in the media. Ann Coulter is an empowered woman. Kellyanne Conway is the first female ever to run a presidential campaign, a successful presidential campaign. Um, the, there are a number of women, people of color. I hate that term Just so but basically. um there are a number of people in trump's administration but they don't count because their beliefs are wrong so and this is this is the thing is that like uh, the, part of the hypocrisy of 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 the social justice left um is it, it it doesn't count if you don't have the right beliefs um and
2: yeah that's well you find this sort of thing happen all the time right so the idea is if you don't um act in the way we expect you to act as a black person or a woman, if you deviate, if you show some sort of independence, you're a sellout, you're you know, a house Negro. Hmm. You know, um, Theresa
1: May is another example. Theresa May is a woman running the United Kingdom, right? She's not as hated as Thatcher. It was a different time and there was a lot of stuff
0: happening. Well, Thatcher had character.
1: Um, sure, I agree with that. I am not a, I think uh, Theresa May is lacking on her charisma, but... The the point is is you've got a woman who's broken the glass ceiling, you know the the glass ceiling that doesn't exist, but she
2: she she's she's definitely broken through it, and it doesn't it doesn't count. But this shows you how deep the patriarchy is, yeah. <laughs> Because these wonderful women have to go through this evil channel, you know, of uh, being conservative so that they can succeed in the man's world. That's how bad it is because of people like you, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. you be ashamed of yourself. The
0: patriarchy. And then you go to the others to the Labour Party. Not one woman leader. Ever. yeah it's a it's an old white man, what is it with you people? Yes
1: you people and old white men jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Saunders, fucking get over the old white men with bad ideology you seriously
2: yeah, if you want to start decolonizing right yeah you know, we should get rid of those uh you know white Jewish guys like Karl Marx from the you know curriculum <laughs> yeah we should we well, should well, well decolonization
0: is marxism uh, if you actually read what it says.
1: Yeah, well, uh, none of us are going to argue that around this, this table. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm talking to people who have principles. It's difficult to, to troll you, <laughs> I'm afraid. You just have to troll the people who might be listening to the show for the first time. Uh, you, should have
2: a, you should have a colonial survivor come on the show. We've got a, we've got a friend uh, who lived, lived under colonial oppression in Eastern Europe. Um, funny how even, no one ever talks about sort of Soviet colonization and the sort of terror it wreaked on people. Well, it it's is. just like they don't talk about slavery in the Arab world. I don't know, I saw
1: an article the other day about, uh, um, West African black slaves now being traded in
0: Libya. Yeah, for $200. Today, dollars. in 2017.
1: Oh. Um, it's 2017. Um. You know, and and it just
0: doesn't doesn't. We should actually just create eight the eight worst the things about the Libyan slave trade. Number ten will no, number ten. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I've missed out the joke. <laughs> <laughs> number five will shock you. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you did cock that up badly. Yeah.
1: All right, should we should we call
0: Shit it? Because cause, cause, yeah, well it's At been six an hour on a Friday evening. Yeah, Who, and we do this for free. Fucking capitalism, man. Huh? Yeah, how evil. Yeah, I thought uh, Rupert was giving you all those notes. That's what that bag is. No, right we, but we are
1: getting onto the helicopter parked outside after this and going to the farm for the weekend, of course. So, you,
0: you're on the Oppenheimers this weekend, or am I? I <laughs> yes. Everything north of the Vol River is Oppenheimer. Um, south is uh, Rupert. Rupert. Yeah. Very territorial like don't, that. Don't no, you yeah. have the schedule? Or white people have like, the schedule for the farm. You must get into the Dropbox. Okay? I yes. always I
2: always mix that book up with my <laughs> Elders of Protocols of Zion book. You know? It's so confusing. <laughs> Well, it says multiple identities. Intersectionality is running me over.
1: That's the problem. You can't decide. White Monopoly Capital meets um, the Elders of Zion. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. And on that note, I think we should call it.
0: Yes, indeed. And then, um, Mark, well, first of all, thank you. It's a Friday. You have to go to shul or something. I don't know. <laughs> Is that right, no, Jonathan. Don't put do him that? on
1: the spot. Don't put him on the spot.
0: Bad Jews both of you. You should be ashamed. Nevertheless, thank you, Mark. Don't you? Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Let,
1: what? I don't know. Don't you have some election debate to get into, you Frenchman?
0: No, I'm just wondering by how much the pen will win. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think she will, eh? Oh, she'll fucking coin it. She'll. You, can you think win. so? Oh yeah. Well, I think
1: when you do have terrorists rocking up on the Champs Elysees <laughs> two days before, uh, the, two, before the, election. yeah, that's uh, that that could cause some problem. But
0: um, I'm calling false. Flag. Did you see all the
1: people just quickly? Did you see all the people on Twitter as it was? You think it was false flag? But, <laughs> <I'm> uh, <laughs> but you see all the people on Twitter before anything happened. It was just like people knew that there was a shooting. Um, there were a whole bunch of people on Twitter who were like, "Please let it be a white person." They'd, Literally just said that. Yeah, like, like, my sources say is-
0: it's a robbery. I want to see everyone else say otherwise now. Okay. <laughs> His name's Ahmed and he had an AK-47 and he shot two policemen.
1: And he came from Belgium on right. like a well-known terror route.
0: And they say a Belgian man. Yeah, so in Belgium, you can't be a Muslim either.
2: Can't trust those bloody Belgians.
0: You can't. It's in a real country. Yeah, not country. Yeah.
2: When are they going to dismantle that? Eh? Uh,
1: <laughs> Before we say something we regret, which we never do, let's uh, call it a day. Mark, thank you for coming in again. Thank you for being our first recurring guest. Thank you very
0: much. Yeah, awesome. And we'll see you soon. And next week we speak to the founder of Greenpeace.
1: Yes, we do. We speak to the founder of Greenpeace. It's uh, quite interesting. Um, in the meantime don't hype it up so much well it is quite interesting it was quite sciencey too it is quite interesting it's it's, it's phenomenal fun- it's spectacular in fact he gives you eight reasons <laughs> why you should be worried or not worried about climate change and number five will shock you okay <laughs> <laughs> so okay uh, if you're listening to us for the first time please rate us on iTunes if you're using that platform you can find us on Facebook and Twitter the Twitter account is at renegade underscore report thank you for listening as always This is the top-rated podcast on Cliff Central and across the country.
0: Cliffcentral.com